Hello everyone, my name is Patrick, I'm one half of Historia Canadiana, a podcast where two grad students discuss and debate parts of Canadian history as it's expressed through cultural items like literature. The show comes out every two weeks and goes out of its way to bring you a dynamic and fresh take on a country that way too many people find boring. Listen to two nerds chat about Canada's history on Historia Canadiana, everywhere you get your podcasts. I'll see you there. Welcome to episode 293 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. If you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings and reviews help new people find the show. And if you know someone that you think might like Stageworthy, please tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 293 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Andre Sills. Andre is a Toronto-based actor, director, producer, and writer. He joined me to talk about his web series, Private Idiots, acting at the Stratford Festival in the time of COVID, and so much more. I mean, you just moved to Stratford. Yeah. What's, what's, I mean, this is like, was, were you even in Stratford last year? Yes, I was, I was at the, I was at the beginning of my sixth season last year. So it's set to do Much Ado About Nothing, which we were in rehearsals for, and Hamlet, which we were also in rehearsals for. And then um, the late opener that I was supposed to do was Wolf Hall as Henry VIII. And we never got to that one. Well, no. we never got to any of them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a shame. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was it was a weird year as soon as that first lockdown kind mm. of came into place. And yeah. It was a interesting year to say the least. Yeah. I really think about how naive um I I was for one at the beginning of that. I thought to myself, we were locked down. I thought, you know what? We're gonna lock down two weeks, maybe a month tops. We're gonna be <laughs> fine. We're gonna beat this thing. No problem. Exactly. I thought the same thing too. I thought the festival was being very um uh what what's the word i guess generous with their with their with their um layoffs at the time mm-hmm. it's like you know by june i think we should be back <laughs> and i was like yeah 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 that sounds yeah. good that sounds good june is a good amount of time i mean i mean i mean the break the break that we had it was just like oh this is going to be hard and and it was but you know as we got closer and closer to june it's like this is not going to happen yeah. but i think at that time they had already said that they're postponing. And even when they did that announcement, I was like, what does postpone mean? That's a great question. <laughs> like, that just means we don't want to cancel it, but we just don't know when we're going to be able to do it. 
Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, so there was like a weird sort of like, you know, you're asking somebody out and you're just like, you know, maybe in the future. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's exactly. But I was like, wait a second, are you, are you actually saying maybe in the future, or are you just letting me down nicely? So it felt like I was being let down nicely a little bit. I think you know, in a lot of ways, at that point, we were all being let down nicely. Yeah, about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. It, it, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just trying to think back to the to the beginning of of the whole thing last year, and you know being in a rehearsal on Friday and then coming in on Saturday morning and be like, Hey, no, everybody's going back home and mm. we've canceled rehearsals for the day. And then a few days later, we all got the news that, you know, we're, you know, postponing or not postponing. We're going to stop rehearsing until a thing rolls out and, you know, mm. and, but yeah, so it was, it was a weird time to, to, I guess, embrace anything that the beginning of the pandemic brought. Yeah. And, you know, with with artists, you know, we're all trying to find some sort of outlet of how yeah. to get any sort of artistic thing out there. And, you know, <laughs> the one thing that Stratford especially kept saying is like, hey, guys, just so you know, King Lear was written during during Shakespeare's um, pandemic time, and I was like, "Well, that stresses me out now. Now I have to try and create King Lear." <laughs> I I completely agree with that. I remember hearing people say things like that, and at first I was like, oh, "Okay, see, I, I understand what you're trying to say with that, <laughs> but it's not helpful." No, like you don't you don't know at what point in the pandemic, in his pandemic, yeah, he was like writing that. I know. Like, did he have? Like a year of just weeping and hiding <laughs> under a pillow while cooking, while trying to make a sourdough starter at the same time? Or was he like, oh, finally, time to write? And he just like was productive all the way through because I spent far too much time do- doom scrolling in those first couple of months just to be able to to accomplish anything. Yeah, yeah. And I was right there with you with the sour- sourdough starter. Like I, I got a sourdough starter and I cooked a couple of loaves of bread and I think I killed the sourdough starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that phase has, has, has run its course. But it's long since, long since run its course. At what point did you start getting the urge to, to create something? At what point did you start, like the, whatever led to uh, Private Idiots, your, your YouTube series, at what point did you start thinking, okay, I feel like I need to do something? Um, well, I guess, let me try to think. No, it's not really a short answer. Um, well, I guess as the time started rolling out and, you know, doing little workshops here and there and, and you know, Stratford reached out about doing a Black Like Me chat, which I was a part of, which was which was amazing to do and, you know, helped bring about a lot of change that, you know, a year later, as we're just about to start rehearsals, we're doing um, a a good training session before we even get into rehearsal. Mm. Um, But, you know, some of the conversations we had through that, I was trying to think of something. And then a friend of mine who I had worked with, what was the first time we did? um, Well, before private idiots was called private idiots, we, it was called sensitivity training. 
And sensitivity training had two other incarnations of itself. Mm. So the first one was back in 2012 and 2012 or 2011. And then the next one was, I guess, 2013. Mm. And then we kind of dropped it, not dropped it, mm. but I guess we all kind of went our separate ways in, in, in the types of work we were doing. And I think it was right after, soon after George Floyd and right after we had done our Black Like Me talk, my friend Oliver Ward and Dennis Nicholson reached out and said, hey, I I think it's time for the sensitivity guys, sensitivity training guys to get back together. And thinking back to, to the type of comedy that these two private detectives had in the car, Hmm. It seemed like those types of conversations were the conversations that everybody right now was having mm-hmm. a hard mm-hmm. time having. Mm-hmm. So thinking about it then, I was just like, you know what? I think you're right. I think this is the time, something that we've been sleeping on for about seven years. And now, you know, as as creators, as he is a creator, as I'm a creator, and and Dennis as well, we all came together or the idea dropped and then we figured out a time to start our Zoom writing room. <laughs> and and we started bashing a, a rough outline of all the sorts of topics that we could address. And then it started going. Hmm. Well, the I mean, the concept, first off, like as far as, as, as the way it looks, it's like kind of the perfect pandemic shooting situation. Yeah, and it was very simple. Like, yeah, every for every um, episode that we did, there was only four people on set. So me, Oliver, me and Oliver Ward in the car. Dennis Nicholson, who is also a sound guy, who's he's working on um, um, Prime's The Boys right mm. now. So he's a sound guy on that. So he had his own gear for that. And then we had a DOP. So I think we had three or four different DOPs who came in and out during the course of our run and uh, four people. And Mm -hmm. that was it, you know? So it was dialogue heavy for (laughs) these two actors, myself and Oliver, but like, you know, it was, it was about the conversations. Yes. And the two of us talking to each other, even if we disagreed and, you know, I like looking back, the one thing I, I, I think we were successful in doing is like, you know, it doesn't always have to be funny, but mm. I want to see that these two guys are actually talking to each other and hearing each other. Well, to me, one of the things that makes that, that makes that situation work so well for what you're doing is these guys are trapped in a car together. Yeah. Pretty much all night, all the time. Yeah. And after a certain amount of time, you've exhausted all of the surface level stuff that you can talk about. Exactly. You've already talked about what sports team you like, your favorite song, all of that stuff. And eventually you either are going to sit in silence or you're going to talk about some difficult shit because there's nothing else to talk about. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think that was, that was the whole aim. And, you know, one thing that Oliver started doing, because he was the one who, who initially wrote all of the episodes beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I guess after uh, the George Floyd murder happened, Mm -hmm. um, he started to think to himself, he's just like, you know what? 
I've, I've been writing this particular voice in my head, but I think I need to actually reach out to the person who will be speaking it to, mm. to get his input mm-hmm. because like, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, after the me too, uh, movement happened, that conversation changed. And after George Floyd happened, a different sort of conversation changed. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we're trying to figure out how to navigate these issues and the way to do it is to, you know, ask a perspective of, 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 of somebody else who mm-hmm. doesn't, who can't, who, uh, what's the word, what, what's the, speak words, 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, ask an opinion of somebody that you might not have, have, that you don't know. Yeah. You know, so, and I thought, I thought for the three of us, it, it, it brought up some interesting topics and some things that they didn't know about. I mm. definitely was willing to, to let them know, like, these are things like co-changing mm. is things that, that I do on a regular basis. Of course. You know, and yeah, so it's. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. it was it was an interesting sort of gateway for us to have mm. have that creative discussion about the type of content we want to put out, but also mm-hmm. um, what our intent is. Like, sure, we might offend some people from time to time, but the intent is also to let us let the world know where we actually are right now. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> we still have a lot of ground to cover to cover, and you know, we can make up some sort of perfect world where these two guys are living in harmony, but I don't think that's doing the world any sort of favors because we're not there yet. No. And it's sort of a, a false narrative that I think sometimes a lot of films will try to portray that everybody's living in harmony. Nobody argues about anything. And it, it, it gets to the point where like, it would be great if that was the case, but we, in the real world, there are difficult conversations People say things and they don't know that they are committing microaggressions. They don't know what they don't know. And either one person lets it go or you have the difficult conversation. Yeah. I sometimes in watching the series, I wondered, now how many times did, 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 did he let that go? And this is like, he's done now letting that go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, well, there was, there was, Another discussion was like, okay, when is when does um, Boise go too far? Mm. And like, I think he goes pretty far a lot of the times. And you know, there is a certain discussion about, you know, as we're writing some of these episodes, is like, is that too far, mm. or is this if Boise says something, Steve has to address it? And I was like, I don't know, mm. you know, because I think he picks his moments. It's like, is this? Is this something for me to address right now, or is this mm-hmm. a moment in 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 time where, you know, not today? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't have the time. To, and I think he tries to do that in our episode five, which is um, May the twenty fifth. Of like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to have these conversations, and it still happens anyways. But yeah. you know, just the picking your battles. Sometimes you have to pick your battles. And like, mm. you know, I've, I've had moments thinking back of, you know, moments of, of, you know, um, being in, in, in a gym dressing room where mm. somebody is like, 
post Me Too is, you know, seeing seeing a woman. And, you know, this, this is something that I've heard from mm-hmm. another person say is like seeing another woman. You know, you can't even say what nice breast she has. It's like in that moment, that was like, I don't, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let this one go. How do you that, explain to somebody at that point yeah. why... Those are some nice breasts you have. Is not the compliment you think it is. <laughs> exactly. And like, I guess in my mind now, I'm just like, I should have said something. But mm. at eight o'clock in the morning in the gym, when I was just in my underwear, I was like, I don't, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> and it still bugs me. Right? Yeah, of course it, it does. It still bugs me because I probably should, I should have said something, but I, I didn't. Yeah, no. So, and I think we've all been in a similar situation where you're like, I don't know that guy. Yeah. I'm in the gym. I haven't really even had coffee yet. <laughs> I'm in my underwear. Is this the time for the conversation? <laughs> exactly. And and because you don't know that guy, it's like how what kind of impact is your work? Like, sure, you're gonna say it, that's for you. Is he gonna take any of that in? There that's like yeah. who knows? Yeah. Um one of the things you were talking about the the Black Lake Me conversation. I was following when when Stratford did the uh, the in the green room takeover. Yeah, and uh, 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 a number of the black artists uh, who'd worked at Stratford uh, were telling their stories. Um, and uh, first off, to hand over the keys of the official Twitter and the official the official social media and say have the difficult conversation. I thought. You know, as far as like organizations go, that was a that was very brave of them and very open of them. And so, yeah. you know, kudos to them for that. Um, and stories were told and, and changes were promised, just like at most art organizations, changes were promised. Yeah. And as things are starting to open up, I think some people are watching. I know I'm watching to see like, okay, so you made your Black your Black Lives Matter <laughs> statement in June a year ago. And uh, what are you doing? Like, are you just doing another production of Grease or something? Like, like, or are you doing, are you going to stick to the promise that you made? Because we remember, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is as far, I don't know how much you can say, but does it feel like Stratford is, is adhering to the promise that they made? Well, for like we had our first day today and, you know, the one thing that has changed is that like before we officially start rehearsals is we have these training days and the Mm. training days are to, to basically open up the, open up how to have a dialogue about these particular issues, Mm. how to address these particular issues, the steps that they are that they have put in place and that they've been working on over the past uh, year with, with a, con- a committee on uh, a committee of artists and administrators mm-hmm. to make the festival a better place to work. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of hard work. So when I think right now we're in the testing ground of seeing how that will roll out mm. and, you know, I think, they're taking it on themselves to do it. Yeah. And I applaud them for doing it. And, you know, it's going to be a learning curve. You know, we're still figuring out how to have those conversations. We're still figuring out how to, you know, as I'm saying, we're on day one, right? So I'm sure. still trying to 
I'm still noticing or or seeing how it will all roll out. But I think um, the men, the hope of the the mentality shift is is moving. Mm. You know, and you know, so I, I'm 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 interested and excited to see how things will change. And you know, for me, it's especially with a place like this. Um, I think the more you can work in the world of theater and see it as a team sport, mm-hmm. the better we will do. Right. You know, and I think that even as I keep saying this, Michael Jordan even had to learn how to play as a team for the Chicago Bulls to really mm. um, become a contender in the playoffs, right? Um, because he couldn't do it all by himself. And right. And sometimes with our star, our star system, sometimes mm-hmm. I feel that some people can think that they have to do it all by themselves. And right, I don't right. think that's the case. I think we all, the, or the one thing that my rugby coach used to say in high school is we move as fast as our slowest person. And mm. you move as fast as your slowest person. When you do that, you create a, like a fortress mm-hmm. that is impenetrable. Right. And if somebody runs ahead to try and be a hero, then the fortress is then vulnerable. Yeah. So the more you you work as a team, you try and figure out a shorthand between each other to 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 have that sort of cohesive sort of nature of like I know where you are at any given time just because we work this thing out so nicely hmm. um, where I, as number one playing the lead of this play still need the servant around the corner, hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's, who's not doing too much. Cause like you have something to offer that you might give me and <clears throat> you never know. You yeah. never know what each person has to offer in a play. And if you're open to, <clears throat> So all, all of that sort of energy, I think all that it will do is help propel the show even further than, than you expected. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned how, you know, every, it, this is new and everybody's sort of trying to feel out how this is going to work. I think in some ways that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. That organizations will show what they're made of when they get it wrong. Yeah. Like – if they get it wrong and they they sort of throw up their hands and go, well, it was never going to work anyway, then we know something about that organization. But if the organization is willing to say, yes, you're right, we did get that wrong, and thank you, here's how we're going to fix it moving forward. Here's what we're going to change. There's a flexibility, yeah. I think, in, 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 in the conversation and the changes that need to be made. And they will – they'll stumble, but – the ones that get back up and keep running the race are the ones that will, I think, grow and be better places and be doing more interesting work. Exactly. And I think like that's that's one thing that we do in rehearsal. We fail, we fail, we fail <laughs> a whole lot until yeah. we get to that. It's like, that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hang on to that one, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. we have to go through the failure in able to, to be able to find that, that success. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it. I think it's going to be a tough road, but I think if any particular industry should be able to take it on, it's it should be the world of theater, yeah. where we are 
always, I think, trying to do work of so- social justice and mm-hmm. trying to to create change in the world to make it a better place. Because yeah. I think that's what theater is about, is, is about building people up, about making people laugh, but also the hope of making the world a little bit of a better place mm-hmm. day by day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the things that that I'm always curious about with with everybody who comes on is I'm a fan of asking people about their theater origin story. What is it? What what made you want to get into this work? What what is the story that drew you to to being an actor? Well, I guess it started for me as a kid. Um, I grew up in Markham, and. Uh, Growing up in Markham, my my whole family went to a church in Scarborough called Agent Court Pentecostal Church, mm-hmm. and it's a big church. Like its its capacity, I think, holds like twenty two hundred people, so it's it's big. And um, as a kid, I recall there well, not recall there was there was Christmas and Easter productions that they did every year, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know, in this big space, they would put on a production and i think the first time i saw it was they were doing an easter production and like you know jesus was going through the crowds healing the sick and all that sort of stuff and this little boy ran into the arms of jesus and i was like i want to do that (laughs) (laughs) the next year and you know i was i was a shy kid so i think that surprised my parents and the next year um that kid was me and Hmm. like from that i caught the bug and I wanted to do more. And um, I, my mom keeps telling me this story about, you know, there was one of these years where you went and you auditioned for a bigger part and you didn't get it and mm. it crushed you. And 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 my mom said, just like, you know, you just got to try again. You never know what will happen next year. You just got to mm. keep at it. And and the next year, my audition, I got that bigger part. I was like, mm. oh, yeah, I want to do more. And I kind of, from there, through, like, all throughout high school, I was doing these Christmas and Easter productions, doing a little bit of stuff at school while playing sports and playing rugby, basketball, and mm. all these sorts of things. And then coming to the end of high school, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And... I was like, uh, like thinking of going to college or university for business was just kind of like, oh, please, no. I, <laughs> my brain, like I was, I was always a kid who was like, if it didn't interest me, I wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. So I needed to find something that I was really interested, really interested in that will propel me and keep me driven to, to, to work, to search and to do whatever it was. And, I decided on theater and mm. I remember going back to my parents and just like, I think I want to act. And then my mom sat me down and was like, look, if you're going to do this, you got to do it full out. You got to go to school. You got to get your training. And, you know, for a young, a young black kid from Markham, mm. that's, that's big for your parents. But like, okay, if you do it, but you got to get your training. Mm-hmm. I want you just going out there and just trying to, you know, be a background person. You know, a lot of people do that, but they wanted me to get, a firm foundation in mm. the craft to to build on it. And from mm-hmm. there, you know, I went to George Brown and, and three hard years there. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and 
And then after I graduated, I had a year in Toronto where I was doing the grind. And then the year year after that, I auditioned for the conservatory and was able to get in, um, which was amazing. And I think it was like maybe 22 at the time. But, you know, I think that year in Toronto before I got in gave me an idea of who I was as an actor already. Mm. So by the time I got to Stratford, I was like, I can do this stuff. And, Mm. um, you know, I spent four consecutive years there um, trying to hustle and work my way up, but it wasn't happening. Mm. And after that fourth year, it's just like, you know what? I got to step away. I got to get back to Toronto and I got to hustle hard to, to, you know, let everybody know (laughs) what I could do. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, it was the right right decision for me because i've see i see a lot of people who can be satisfied with 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 the long contract at stratford and you know the money is pretty good and you know they can they can um settle into that and i i i didn't want to settle no i wanted to to play these parts and sure. you know i think for me one thing that was really that really kind of opened my mind to a lot of these guys in Shakespeare was playing rugby mm. and seeing what adrenaline does to, to a person and how mm. it can make you superhuman. And like thinking back to a couple of years ago when I did Coriolanus is like, that's exactly it. Mm. This is a guy who lives on adrenaline. And then you try and put him in an office and his, <laughs> he's <laughs> tapped into his adrenaline all the time. It's like, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it was, it was sports really opened the world of a lot of these warriors for me, mm. and um, it was it was really cool. So yeah, being in, in Stratford for those four years, like I know what I can do. I need to step away. Need to come back to Toronto and yeah. make my way up, and you know, get to a place where it's impossible for them to ignore me, for anybody to ignore me. Yeah, and you know, one one place that ended up being a champion for me, which I did not expect was the Shaw festival. Hmm. So, yeah. So it was, it was nice to uh, get in there and, you know, get some amazing parts like uh master Harold and the boys. And then an Octoroon where the two hmm. shows back to back where really, really got a sense of what the power of theater can hmm. do. You know, and those are two plays who are based that are basically trying to do the exact same thing, but one has a little bit of a lighter touch to it and will tear at your heartstrings. The other mm. one has a lot more frustration and anger. Mm. And um but we want you to see the same thing. And I mm. you're like from those two performances coming back to private idiots is just kind of like, yeah. Our intent might be to offend you from time to time, but at the heart of it, we still have so much ground to make up because this is where we still are. These stupid conversations that we're having is where we still are. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were at George Brown, which which building were you in? What because you <laughs> River Street? Were you in? The, you were in the transition. Between oh, yes. River Street and Salt Pepper, the the Young Center, right? Yeah. So I well. I broke ground actually for for uh, the Young Center. Ah, so I was at 
River and King or mm-hmm. and between River and King and the dentistry basement at George Brown. Yes. Up by yes. Casaloma. Yes. So <laughs> I I found it very interesting that I was able to break ground for that theater and then never work in it for a very long period of time. And I was like, hey, guys, you remember me? The guy who yeah. broke ground for you that you have a picture yeah. in, of me in your office? Can I can I work on the stage at some point? I mean, I would love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was I was able to after a little while. And, you know, I think Kim's Convenience was another thing that opened the doors mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. back into that theater. Um. But yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> good old, what was it, 540 King Street East, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. now a yeah. brand new condo. It and is a condo. Old... It is a condo. There is a coffee shop that just closed. Their door is approximately where the front door of that warehouse was. Oh, man. When we all went in there and if somebody walked in there with a cold, five minutes later, we all had it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, when I was there, I don't know what the makeup of your class was. When I started... Um, our class was predominantly white, mm-hmm. um, and we had um, uh, two 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 black students. They were brothers who were in our class, but they did not last the first year. Oh wow! And so we were largely a a, a white class, and the class ahead of me was largely a white class, and the class right. behind me was again predominantly white. They had uh, one student of color and. They they did make it through the whole time, but the school had not had a great track record yeah. of graduating students of color. Yeah, was what was what was your class like? Um, I think pretty similar. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think back to my class. I th- well, the year ahead of me, um, they had Ryan Field was I guess their token black guy, mm-hmm. and in my class it was myself. There was a an Indian gentleman at the time who also didn't make it through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think well, we started at thirty two and then ended up at seventeen. Yeah, um, of either people left or got kicked out, and yeah. So by the time I graduated, I think I was yeah, I was all white class except for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting going to to theater school because theater school was a bit of a culture shock for me. Um, sure. Weird enough, being in Markham, uh, white people were the minority there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, we had everything. So it was it was weird to to go from uh, growing up in a neighborhood that had everything to all of a sudden being the one singled out and the one thing I. I keep coming back to is that I've heard a lot more ABBA than I ever thought I ever would in those three <laughs> years. And I still don't understand why people were so into ABBA <laughs> so much. Any party was just like, ah. it is. It is an excellent question. And one that I think will go down as one of those mysteries is, is why do white people like ABBA so much? <laughs> Dear white people. Yes. What's with ABBA? Please explain. <laughs> Yeah, so it was that was strange, um, but you know, it it gave me, if anything, it gave me an idea of 
of the world I was stepping into. And, you know, one thing that was interesting over that period of time is that every year we went to the Shaw Festival to see to, to see shows. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until my third year that I actually took a list a look at the list of artists in the festival lobby mm. and saw that they were all white. And this mm-hmm. was in two mm-hmm. uh, so this was September two thousand and three. Then at that time, it was like making your lists of goals that you're going to accomplish. It's like, yes, Stratford Shaw, lead in a movie, lead in a TV series, all the big things, right? Mm -hmm. And then looking at that board and just being like, wait a second, is this one goal actually possible? Um, Yeah. And, you know, as I said, the one place that ended up being a champion for me was the Shaw Festival, but that was... What six years ago now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, even they themselves had a a learning curve over between two thousand and three to now. Um, you know, so everybody's trying to figure out how to, and uh, yeah, figure out how to, I guess, reach the masses, but also, you know, with with these theaters, like their Stratford is attached to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shaw Festival is attached to George Bernard Shaw. So, you know, in my mind, where where these companies go is, yes, they. I think what they're doing right now is opening their programming, but I think mm-hmm. at the heart of it, Shakespeare is always going to be at the heart of Stratford. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect that to change. And for the Shaw Festival... Shaw is always going to be at the heart of the Shaw Festival. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as for myself, I I decided not to be a part of the, um, the committees of, of pushing things forward because something was really ringing in my head that um, Philip Aiken said as he was stepping down from Obsidian was, Mm -hmm. you know, I wish I had spent more time making Obsidian a, a, a Toronto or or a national superstar, as as I'm paraphrasing, but mm-hmm. you know, a bigger theatrical beast than it was. Mm. Um, and you know, he's like, yeah, the there needs to be white theaters, there needs to be black theaters. Everybody has to have their their place. And but you know, we're trying to right now find a way to tell each other's stories. And I think right now is mm. just a time where now on these stages, they've given us permission to tell their stories. Now the doors are opening for us to be able to tell our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're making like, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to do that. And, mm-hmm. and, but at least we're having that conversation now of yeah. the vali- the validity of our stories mm-hmm. are just as important as Shakespeare, as Shaw. Yeah. And can be just as universal as we look back at Kim's convenience and what that's done across the country and the world. And the world, yeah. Um, so you, a voice that everybody needs to hear can come from anywhere, right? Mm. So... I think we have to be open and, you know, you never know who you're going to be surprised by. Yeah. I do think that, you know, the the voice can come from anywhere. I think that that one of the problems is that for the longest time, the gatekeepers have only allowed specific voices through. Yeah. 
Um, but all of the voices, like there's so many voices that we have that haven't been heard on those stages. And like you say, like if we open the door, what work will come? Yeah. If, if, if the gatekeepers stand back and stop favoring one group over another. Right. Now yeah, you mentioned think- Kim's convenience. You mentioned Kim's convenience and you were in the original fringe cast of that. And I think you continued on through, through soul pepper and did, did the first tour. Is that uh, uh, yes. So yes, yeah, so I was in the fringe and then their first stint at soul pepper. I wasn't able to do, mm. um, but I came back, I guess the same year my son was born. So mm. here we are now 21. So there's 20 or uh, 20, geez, 13. Yeah. Um, that year was when I was able to come back and, you know, <laughs> take it across the country and end up doing mm. close, like, I think over 300 performances across mm. the country, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, like people attaching themselves to that show and depending on what city we went to, people mm. were like, can you change the, the references to the cities you're in? And it was like, no, it's a yeah. Toronto story, <laughs> you know? So somebody from Winnipeg or whatever can write something about here yeah. and you know and that could be a new story right so you know just also like encouraging young people coming up through theater school or any sort of training that they're doing right now is like mm. if you want to create if you want to act great but also get in your mind now to think as a creator mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. think as a person to at uh to start thinking that your voice is just as legitimate as anybody else's mm-hmm. uh, because we haven't heard your voice yet yeah we've heard yeah. a lot of other voices but we haven't mm-hmm. heard yours yet and that might be the one we need i think it is important that the idea that like if you changed honestly if you changed anything like the location of kim's convenience it changes kim's convenience yeah um and I remember being in the audience at Fringe and just the feeling that you were watching something incredible. Right. And I don't think I, I've ever – it was really one of the first times for me as the, as the lights fade on that show that I knew that I had no choice but to stand up and applaud. Right. And, you know – in the theater, a lot of times we see audiences where the curtain call happens and a couple of people stand up and then some other people sort of look at them and say, oh, we have to stand up. And so they stand <laughs> up and it's sort of a slow thing. Yeah. But that's one of the few shows that I've been at where the entire audience, just like everybody stood. And that's right. what it looks like because it was there was some magic happening in that show. Right. And it was so very simple. It's just a desk mm-hmm. with a couple of items on it and a door frame. <laughs> With a mm-hmm. doorbell sound that our stage manager hit every time before anybody came in the door, so it was yeah. like it was amazing to see it go from that to the full to the full store look. Mm-hmm. But you know, remembering those very basic, humble beginnings was mm-hmm. enough to you know, as as we're talking about the magic at the end from the fringe, mm-hmm. um, was enough to touch somebody's life. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just seeing how that show has has continued on, like on TV and how the show itself has touched so many people now that once it got on Netflix, especially, and we've seen outside of Canada, people seeing these stories that, that they hadn't seen on TV before. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it was really special for them. It yeah. was really special for them. And, and I'm glad the success that they were able to have. And yeah, we're waiting for whatever Ince Choi has next. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now the product you're about to start or you today was like the first rehearsals for is it Midsummer Night's Dream that's right yes then? yeah and this is going to be like an outdoor production is that correct yes <laughs> you say that there's a little bit of trepidation in well, your voice as you say yes to that <laughs> well we started today on zoom right so I think yeah. well you know before the the lockdown extension we're all like Yes, now today we're going to be in the rehearsal hall. Mm-hmm. But then with the extension of the lockdown, that's why I'm like, yes, question mm-hmm. mark. So right now our rehearsal hall is via Zoom. Um, so, but they are committed to making sure that this show happens. Yeah. Um, we have, I guess, a certain um, chunk of time that we have to do the show in. I don't think they're they're able to push push the performances past the days we're supposed to close, but whatever they're 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 committed to make it happen to make it happen. So we'll do it somehow. (laughs) (laughs) There is a certain flexibility that this pandemic has required from theaters that are not used to being that kind of flexible. Yeah. Like just scheduling and how do we rehearse and how do we do a show? Um, and out doing a play outdoors, is it, is it in a tent or is it, like, what is it that going to be like? It will be in a tent. Um, I think there's two tents. So there's going to be one uh, outside of the festival and I will have the lucky joy of breaking in the Tom Patterson parking lot. Um, <laughs> so there'll be like a a sort of like a runway style stage, almost like a smaller version of the Patterson stage. And then on either side of it, 50 seats. Mm. So a max of 100, 100 people. Um with a tent cover, so I think as from from the designs that we've seen, the all four corners are are opened, so mm. it isn't enclosed; it's just covered. Um, so, yeah, well, like it'll be interesting to see how 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 it is, but you know, it it will have the the energy of having audience members on either side of us mm. um, once we get there. Mm-hmm. yes <laughs> so yeah. as i say like i i'm here in stratford right now i got here yesterday and um you know the we're looking at the possibility of rehearsal in person uh i guess maybe as soon as this lockdown is done and as far as i know the ford has has a new lockdown or phases of mm-hmm. how we're opening back up. I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. 
which, you know. There's always yeah. always new things. Always new things. Surprises. <laughs> always surprises. And they're sometimes not the surprises you want. But exactly. There's always surprises. Yeah. So we'll see what all that information has to do for us mm. and how we move forward. But, you know, we're figuring out how we do it. Either... Yeah you know, on stage six feet apart, or I've had my first shot already. So mm. I, you know, we'll, we'll see how we move forward. I think everybody in, in a lot of people today raised their hands in regards to if they've been able to have their first shot. So mm. we'll see um, what that means. As I yeah. say, there's so many variables as we're stepping into this new world of returning to theater in Canada. And yeah. I think we're all very anxious and excited and hopeful and yes. frustrated all at the same time. It's all of the feelings all at once and it's and it's it's a lot right now. Yes. I think for everybody. Yeah. And you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to to be back doing this play, back doing Shakespeare and back mm. in the original sort of sense of Stratford being under a tent and yeah. But we're just hoping that we can do it. So yeah. that's oh, kind of I'm, where we are. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers for, for that too. <laughs> Everything's crossed, man. Yeah. Now, just to bring things back to uh, uh, Private Idiots, um, what's the best way for somebody to find Private Idiots online? Uh, we are on YouTube. So if you search Private Idiots, you can just Google Private Idiots. We'll come up. Mm-hmm. You'll see a cartoon image of, well, you'll either see a cartoon image of myself and Oliver Ward, or you might see thumbnail images with a bright yellow outline of Private Idiots episodes one to nine, plus our trailer. Nice. Um, if you have kids, watch it when they're in bed. Uh, one thing I had to tell my very Christian mother is that just so you know, we use a lot of strong language. And for me, I think it was carrying a lot of the frustration from 2020. Sure. And yeah. So like, I'm, I'm a guy who generally doesn't curse or swear, but I sure let some loose in that one. (laughs) Sometimes you got to, sometimes you got to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. So Google us, Private Idiots. Watch us on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram, Private Idiots series. Um, And yeah, like and share and let everybody know that you're watching. And hopefully we can get some money to do a fuller, bigger, better season two. Nice. That is the hope. That would be fun to finally get out of the car. Exactly. <laughs> that is the hope to see yeah. what happens when these two guys get out of the car. But I think that's our home base is sure is being in the car and that's where the most of the work happens and mm. that's where the hard conversations happen too. Yeah. Well, Andre, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been wonderful. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs>